On today's episode of AE Live, we're talking about engineering and Indigenous communities. We'll look at how engineers and scientists around Canada are building their relationship with Indigenous clients and communities. And we'll speak with Frida Leong, who's been building Associated Engineering's First Nations practice since 2005. I'm your host, Graham Nix, and this is AE Live, a podcast giving you an inside look at what it's like to work with a Canadian consultant engineering company. Coming to you on the internet, audio, all the stem movies, no movies, where you gotta go vibing your ride to the Graham and Michael crew, what would's whole new freaky flow winner? Treat your ears, get the gist of careers from the list of our engineers and scientists, maybe twisted up with technologists, the podcast baby and not to be missed. Got more fly than a ripe banana, like Sam, I got the stamina streaming across Canada, I can treat your cabana, got that sweaty swag, yeah, and the 411 from White Horse to Niagara. Don't you know we're gonna innovate? Got a topic here to elevate. Gonna entertain and educate. This podcast is recorded in Vancouver on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In 2015, the Canadian government's Truth and Reconciliation Commission completed a report on Canada's history with Indian residential schools. The report helped to bring light to Canada's long history with the Indigenous peoples of Canada, and it is just part of the story of how Indigenous communities across this country have often been ignored and marginalized. The TRC focused on residential schools and the thousands of children who were forcibly taken from their homes and denied their family, language, and culture. Many returned to their communities years later, forever changed by the abuse they suffered, and many more never returned home at all buried in unmarked graves surrounding residential school sites across this country, all record of their life lost to a system that did not care. The stories continue beyond residential schools. Across Canada, even today, are Indigenous communities that have inadequate access to clean water and who are poorly served by other infrastructure, like roads. As the builders and caretakers of much of Canada's water, transportation, and energy infrastructure, engineering companies have a responsibility to help drive change in the relationships we build. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission recommended that the corporate sector in Canada adopt the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples as a framework for reconciliation, and to apply it to corporate policy and core operational activities involving Indigenous peoples and their land and resources. On the Engineers Canada website, you will find the following statement. Engineers and engineering work intersect with Indigenous people and Indigenous communities, First Nation, Métis, and Inuit, in many ways. As a starting point, it is important to acknowledge the impact engineering has on Indigenous peoples and communities from coast to coast to coast. It goes on to say, Engineering needs to incorporate Indigenous ways of being and ways of knowing to create more positive solutions for Indigenous communities seeking economic independence, clean drinking water, and sustainable development opportunities on their lands. To discuss her experiences working in Indigenous communities and the relationships she's built, I'm joined today by Frida Leung. Frida has her engineering degree from University of Technology, Sydney, and put together a decade of experience working on water systems in Australia before moving to Canada and joining Associated Engineering in 2004. 
Frida is currently Associated Engineering's national leader in Indigenous communities and has been working with First Nations communities since 2005. Frida, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So Frida, how does a civil engineer from Australia end up working with uh, Indigenous communities in Canada? So when I moved back to Canada in 2004, the nice thing that drew me to Associated was that it would be a bunch of different things. And I started off doing municipal work, which is satisfying too. Like I did a lot of water modeling and water system master plans and things like that. I even did like a water conservation strategy for the city of Chilliwack. And that was one of the things that, you know, some people sort of laughed at early early on because it wasn't a big thing, but it is a big thing now. But I got lucky and I got pulled into a proposal for um, Lower Nicola Indian Band and it was for their water system upgrade for Rocky Pines. And it was just like, you know how sometimes you just have a good feeling and it sort of just clicks. That's how it sort of, maybe I just fell into it or, but it was just like, I, I started working with the community. I met people and it just felt so bright in terms of even though I didn't know people very well it felt like they were a lot more welcoming and it was more of a relationship that I was developing versus just growing growing a a discipline or growing a project but it was actually building a relationship and the conversations that you were having they were more personal and they were it's more my personality too, right? And I think that's how I fell into it, I guess, is that I felt like I was not just working on a project, but I was working with a community and I was talking to people. And that is more me. And so that's how I think it was, I was very fortunate, I'd have to say, because um, I, it was, yeah, I wasn't busy. So they called me in to help on the proposal. So it was just maybe a series of unfortunate accidents that worked out in my favor because I got to meet a great group of people that I really enjoyed working with, not just from the community side, but I got lucky in terms of the people that were at Indigenous Services Canada. They were actually really great to work with because I saw how much they cared for their communities too. Sure. I think that's a common story for people finding a career. You, you kind of fall into that path that you end up being on. But uh, just from the building a career perspective, do you, uh, you know, what do you tell the, the new graduate on, uh, on what their career is going to look like or, or what they should imagine that building that's going to, going to be? I think it's really important to think about what interests you and what speaks to you and what resonates to you. Like if you're liking big big projects and you like the technical aspects of it and things like that, you'll tend to gravitate towards it, right? And you're going to build your career around it. I hope that, and I've said it a few times, that I hope people get into engineering because they want to make a difference. If you go into it with the mindset of wanting to care for people or in the environment, I think it can be something that's very rewarding. That's more than just a project. I think if you are interested in communities and people, it is a great career to get into because people misunderstand engineering. I think there's a real 
misconception that all we care about is technical, technical expertise and technical acumen. And that strength in us is that we're great at science and we're great at math and we know how to apply both to solve problems. But I think what we also bring to it is because of this analysis, we can also take a step back and see a bigger picture. And engineering isn't just problem solving anymore. It's about relationships. A big part of what we do is relationships. And the best solutions come from knowing your communities, knowing the people that you're working with, knowing what's important to them. So that falls into that research aspect, but it's nothing to do with math and science. It speaks to getting to know people. And that's the most honest conversations that you have are going to be the best opportunities for you to learn and actually build on and give a solution that fits them. Right. You work with a company that has had some of Canada's largest uh, cities as clients. Uh, your colleagues have been involved in multi-million dollar projects, landmark projects that uh, stand out on city skylines. You've carved out more of a role with uh, probably smaller communities uh, and the infrastructure that supports them. So uh, is that a bit of a different perspective on engineering and infrastructure in general in this country? I think the big projects are great. Um, the little projects, you just get to see how it impacts people on a day-to-day. Yeah, so you must you must see from a personal level. A firsthand experience, right? Like you'll get that feedback. In general, like we've had, we've gone into communities where They've been waiting to get water straight out of the tap for like 20, 30 years. Like it's not an uncommon thing. Um, We've worked in communities where they've been waiting for their road, their roads and drainage to be dealt with. And it's been 15, 20 years for them to get the funding, right? Because water is a high priority than roads and drainage projects. But when we're talking about mold issues, um, Roads and drainage is really important to a community. So it's it's different, but it's you get the firsthand feedback. <laughs> sure. Yes, I, I bet. Um, so uh, obviously uh, a lot of what you do uh, tied into uh, reconciliation, which has been a, a big topic for the last uh, decade in the country. Um, what can you tell me about the relationship between engineering companies in Indigenous communities over the course of your career? Initially, we thought that engagement meant that we're telling people what we were doing. But now we realize, or we hope that people are realizing that engagement is a two-way street. It's that feedback that's really important. And having the engagement early, not having it once you've come up with the design, getting people and the communities involved from concept And what we find is that a lot of communities feel like they're still not being heard because, okay, a mine is going to be built um, adjacent to their traditional territory or to their ancestral territory. And what they're told is like, oh, we're going to do the environmental impact studies. We're doing all this stuff so that we're making sure it's safe for you. But nobody actually had a conversation when it was just a buzz in somebody's brain to put a mine adjacent to a community. Nobody thought about that they're going to be putting a camp, you know, of 500 people next to a community of 40 people. 
nobody thought about what that meant to that small community. And so it's always that struggle of really getting people to understand what engagement means. It isn't telling people something after the fact and getting them to say, oh yeah, that's great. It's having that conversation when it's still a thought in your mind, because then it's, it's fair, right? Because a lot of times what I see is that you're so far down that rabbit hole that it's very hard to pull up, especially when you've you've started securing funding for the next phases of work where you're past concept and you're going into design and then you get flushed into construction and everything else that it's, it's almost like, well, it's too late for us to change the route that we've taken. Whereas if you engaged with your the indigenous communities, you'd realize there's such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to understanding the land when it comes to the history of that land, when it comes to a whole bunch of environmental concerns about that land. We worked in a community where we were building a subdivision and we were looking at the site, which was perfect. We just thought, okay, there's it's a nice opening. There's um, access to roads. It's, it's easy. We don't have to work really hard to put in the water and sanitary ser- services. But what the community PMs was talking to their grandma and she was, oh, I remember they tried to build some stuff there and it actually washed out. <laughs> and so what was it? They did a landslide risk assessment. And what it is, is we have clay sitting on bedrock. It's actually a high risk of landslides in that area. And that's why they didn't build there. <laughs> it wasn't that we came upon this magical space that nobody ever thought of. It's because inherently and historically, the community knew not to build there. Right. And if somebody hadn't talked to their grandma, like then we would have probably proceeded, right? And probably gotten to the point where we were quite far along before we realized and pulled up, right? That there might be a problem here. And so that historical knowledge, who else is going to have it? Unless if you talk to the community, if you talk to the people that have lived there since time immemorial. Why are we not taking advantage of this knowledge? Why are we not asking for them to share this knowledge, right? And I think that is our error. We're just making life harder for ourselves. We're making it more of a problem by not wanting to engage or being scared to engage because we think it's gonna hold up a project, but it could give you a win instead. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so uh, the engineers and geoscientists, BC, uh, advanced five recommendations, I guess, from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 2015 report. Um, it included more education uh, and uh, professional development within both within the community and within the profession. Has Have stories like that been more common since people started making more changes? Or I, I'm, I think it's become at least a conversation starter, right? It's been an easy ask for for a lot of people that always thought this way, but it's probably going to be a tougher ask for people who have always done it a different way. And that is something that I worry about that, you know, we're all saying the right things, but are we doing the right things? A big part of it isn't just ourselves getting educated, but getting more Indigenous people 
in the workforce and getting into engineering and geoscience, getting them involved so that they're seeing out for us and driving that change. The best way to include this Indigenous knowledge is by including Indigenous people in our field of practice. What do you think the, the best way to, to get the, you know, the 10, 12-year-old uh, living in a community uh, interested in engineering and, and off to... Uh, Talk to program? them early, show them. I think the biggest thing I I heard all the time is parents or communities saying, um, it's a math and science, it's a hurdle because, right, they don't have um, the lab space or they don't have the teachers that can take them through chemistry and physics and stuff like that. And so some of them, I think they can do it online, but it's still tough, right? Because science, I think we learn it best hands-on. <laughs> so I think it is worthwhile if we're working in communities, we should just have field trips, just get the kids out there, show them what we do. And then they'd realize that a lot of it is, it's not math and science. It's applying math and science. You're doing it all the time. You just don't realize you're doing it. And so if we bring it down to that level, we can show them or actually make them realize that this is something they're doing on a day-to-day. It's investing our time in communities and investing our time in community members and spending the time to let them know that these people are working in my community, not just teachers, not just like health staff, like nursing staff and kids in general gravitate towards what they know, right? And what they see around them. But engineers are working in their communities all the time. It should be a given that we spend some time with the kids. So more than just working on the project, but working on the relationships there too? Yeah, talking to kids, just showing them what we do. Um, I asked you earlier about some like landmark projects that you've seen. You probably don't uh, drive over a bridge every day on your commute that uh, that you've worked on, but uh, projects you have worked on, they're, they're more personal. Can you tell me some stories from... Uh, um, first project I worked on, um, Lower Nicola, um, and that was the Rocky Pines Domestic Water System Improvements. I worked with um, the Public Works Manager, Stephen Dick, and... I worked on that project for probably as the project engineer during design for about a year and a bit. And I remember I'd been on site and there was a snowstorm that was coming in. So they're out in Merritt and I was going to drive home. And Stephen was sort of concerned about me driving back because of the snowstorm. But I was a single mom. I wanted to get home to my daughter. My my mom's watching my daughter. And I remember, like, he was just really concerned. He's like, maybe it's best if you just stay overnight because there's a motel and stuff like that and just wait it out and stuff. And I said, no, I got to get back. And he goes, okay, he understands, like, and everything else. And so it was a slow drive back for sure. It wasn't like the, the usual time. It probably took me a lot longer than I normally take. But when I got home and I got home, like, I think around eight or nine o'clock, the first call that I got was actually from Stephen Deck asking me if I got home soon. And to me, that speaks volumes because I wasn't just a project engineer. I was a friend, right? And that's what I remember. Is it a landmark project? Is it really technical? (laughs) Is it like, did we do something special with the water? 
I don't think so. <laughs> but what I got instead was a great friend. Sure. <laughs> and that to me are that to me is what I remember most. Like um so I've worked with Lake Booming Nation too um since around 2007. We worked on their roads and drainage and we've done it for a few of their communities now. And the crazy thing is the first person that I really worked with, Bernard Patrick, is now their chief operating officer. And we've been working together since 2006. And he he and I are the same age. We sort of grew up together. I remember a lot of these projects because I am I think back to when we first started and the big issue with a lot of these roads and drainage projects was the mold, right? Um, and we worked together on all these projects. And But it was more that I got to know Bernard better and he got to know me better and we trusted each other. And that's why I think we've had these long working relationships, right? Most of the communities that I work with, I'm fortunate to say that I've worked with them for at a minimum 10 years, if not longer. And most of these communities, it's not just, you know, roads and drainage that we may start on. Then we work on their water projects. We work on their wastewater projects. And it's because you're a trusted advisor, right? You build a different relationship. You're not just their engineer. Um, you get involved in a lot of conversations that they might just want to bounce ideas off of you that have nothing to do with engineering or nothing to do with your current projects. But it's about relationships. All my projects, I think, I learn something from and I take something from and I grow from. And that, to me, maybe they're not razzle-dazzle. <laughs> but what they are instead is something that feeds me sure. as a person, not just as an engineer. Uh, I imagine the, the average uh, engineering graduate thinks about the things they're going to work on. Maybe for some of them out there, they should be looking forward to the relationships they'll build. Right. Hopefully what speaks to us or what satisfies us might be the technical, but what speaks to us and what really resonates with us or what keeps us up at night should be the people. Absolutely. So um, you talked about a couple of communities you've worked with for a long time. Are there, are there other memorable ones that come to mind? With Gitman Silk, you know, we started off, we were a new firm working for them. And what I noticed over time was people started to know us, right? We'd come into community and they'd wave and they'd go, oh, you're back. How are you? And they'd ask about your family. They'd ask about your friends. It's so different. Like, like you're working with Gitman Silk. It was just a beautiful area geographically, but at the same time, such kind people that were I never went, left the community without some smoked salmon. I, we had a meeting, a community meeting at Kits and Caleb about their community hall upgrades last year. And I swear to God, we laughed so hard. We were crying. Like people were just, and you get hugs. Like, I don't know, you know, maybe some clients think that's wrong to hug you. <laughs> I get hugs. I get hugs all the time. And I never get tired of these hugs. And it's like these big bear hugs where people embrace you because they're just so happy to see you again. And when you come up to community, there's never once that somebody hasn't thanked us for taking the effort to come up to community. And at the same time, having these relationships means 
that honesty helps you on your projects. Like having this honesty means that you can catch things that you might have missed early because you can have the difficult conversations. So it makes you a better engineer overall because the best people to work with are the people who are honest with you, not looking to place blame, but looking forward with a solution in mind. Sure. Um, the honest conversation with your clients, I think, probably applies to to all projects, big or small. Um, how would you compare the the challenges, uh, technical um, community funding uh, between uh, you know a water treatment for Vancouver and and say uh, something that you're building in a small community of 40, 50, 100 people? Yeah, so funding is definitely something that you have to understand better when working with Indigenous communities. We work with ISC pretty closely in BC region, and they've been helpful to make sure that we're up to date in terms of what the funding requirements are. People keep on thinking we're supporting our communities just through the technical design and all that and through the construction side of things. But a big part of what we do is actually helping our communities with some of this, the funding with the grant submissions for not just ISC projects, but for other grants that are out there. We've helped a few of our communities with um, the Investing in Canada infrastructure program that is run through the provinces, and we've had some success there. We work with very small communities in BC, so we have a very small administration staff, and each person's working on 10, 15 things at a time. And they are focused on other things and other programs that are very important to the community. And they have a hard time just following through on some of this stuff. So that's where we provide support to you. So not necessarily technical, but we help with these funding submissions that ensure that they get in line or they get the funding that they require to run some of these capital programs. So that's definitely a big part of what we do. Great. Um You've talked uh, a lot about a couple of relationships that you've built over a couple of decades working with those communities. Have there been any projects that were just a huge struggle, but uh, but you are just thankful that they're they're done and and, and maybe that were really important to to get. There to get are out. lessons learned for sure. Um, there's understanding sometimes that different communities operate a little differently and they need support in a different way, and I think that it doesn't change the relationships that we have. I still talk to some communities or some water operators. I don't work for their community anymore. And they'll ask us some questions and I still answer questions. I don't think those relationships have to stop, right? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, speaking of, of water, you talked about how, uh, you know, probably in the big city, we take turning the tap on and getting clean water, safe water uh, for granted. How does it feel to be an engineer who works in Indigenous communities and then see communities that don't have access to clean water or to be? It's frustrating. It's very frustrating because as we all talk about, we're in Canada. We're not somewhere else where there's no opportunity for us to provide solutions. Some treatment plants, it's not like what was done is technically wrong. It's just that somebody can take care of it. And so what I've find more than anything else is that usually if in BC, we were very fortunate, most of our communities are off boil water advisories, but I think it comes down to 
having, I go back to relationships all the time because if a person comes into your community and only sees a technical problem, but doesn't look at the bigger picture to, to understanding what causes technical problem, they might continue doing the same thing. They might give you a treatment plant or something that doesn't work for the community in terms of, okay, this would be a great plant if it was close to a major center where you could get parties. This is a great plant if this person has, you know, can the water operator can put four or five hours a day to operating and maintaining this plant. This is a great plant. If it was, if it had all these other nuances that weren't specific to this remote community that, you know, if I want to talk to the operator, it's not at the plant. They have to go up to the school because they have to use a landline. Um, there's no internet access, so I can't get access to their HMI remotely so I can see what's happening in the plant. There's logistics for us to get a part out to the plant. During certain times of the year, we can't actually, there's road closures, there's road beds. We can't bring in big trucks and to bring in heavy machinery into communities certain times of the year. Small remote communities don't get any more funding for um, operations and maintenance, right? They, if anything, it's based on their membership, so they get less. Right. So they have even less time. So what you've got to realize is more likely your water operator is also the garbage man. He's the wastewater dude. He's the carpenter, the plumber, the tanker, the soldier, the toy maker. I don't know, <laughs> like all these things. Sure. So they've got every role in the community and there's only so much time. So when it comes to these water systems, we have to really think about what we're leaving behind. And that's through relationships. It's having those conversations. We've been to like numerous communities where the operator will say to us, like, this is the first time an engineer's actually asked us what we think. So spend the time, talk to people, figure out what happened last time. And sometimes it's not a technical issue. It was an operational and maintenance issue. Right. So that's an engineer designing the, the right solution for the wrong community in, in many ways? Yes. It happens a lot. It happens a lot more than you realize. If we're going to wrap up this conversation with a bit more of a success story, have you... Uh, do you have the, the flip side of that from a, a water point of view where, where you've had a success uh, in, in getting water to a community that uh, meant a lot to you? Well, for Klaskis, um, I remember talking to the elders and the biggest thing for one of the elders, Lucy, when they asked her, what does this mean to you? She said, it means that my, my grandkids can bathe in clean water. They can just turn on the tap and drink straight out of the tap Right. And that's what she looks at it, that this is safe for my grandkids. And that's like, that's all it means. Right. Like to us, it's like, oh, look at us technically. But to somebody else, it's just something so simple. Right. right. And it's such a simple thing that we take for granted. And but it means so much to Lucy and her family. I mean, that's a great story. Walk me through a bit about that project then in, in, in terms of the, you know, 
where where you started and, and where you got. So Cluskis, and we started off by looking at different water sources for the community because the big thing that the community said is that they did not like wells, right? They don't trust wells. They want to go back to how it's always been, which they've used surface water supplies, right? And so there's a few surface water supplies surrounding the community. So our job was to look at different water supply options, right? We looked at a couple of lakes, the creek and everything else. But what we found was that there wasn't enough recharge for long-term supply to the community. The only thing we could look at really to supply them in the long-term was some wells, but they'd said outrightly, they hate wells, they don't trust wells, they don't want anything like that. And spending time, more time with the community, what I realized is that they thought that by having a surface water supply, there would be no treatment. So they wouldn't have to worry about chemicals, all this stuff being added to the water and messed with. And, and I told them, whether it be surface water or groundwater, you're going to have to have some form of treatment. So there was a misunderstanding that, first of all, that they wouldn't need treatment if they went with a surface water supply. But the other thing is, we talked a little bit more at one of the community meetings. They hated wells because... Their existing community water wells were actually um, put in place right next to their old burial grounds. So that's why they didn't trust wells, right? Not because they hated wells in general. It's because of the existing walls being right next to their old burial grounds. And that's where if you had talked to one of the elders when you came in to drill these wells, you would have learned, don't go there. <laughs> that's where, you know... My grandparents are buried, right? That's where the community has their old burial grounds. The new cemetery is up the hill, but the old one is down in the flats there. When they drilled the wells, they got good producing wells that had issues with iron and manganese, which we could treat for, and so like that, which is not a problem. But the big thing is they did not trust it because it's it's right in their old burial grounds. And the old burial grounds, like we looked at the water quality. There's no issues. There's no uptick in nitrates. It doesn't show that there's any leachate coming from the old burial grounds, but it's their perception and sure. their understanding, right? That they don't want it there. So we took a lot of their local knowledge, right? And helped us look at areas that could be viable in from hydrogeological standpoint. We had the hydrogeologists out there with the elders, with community members walking the site together. And we found a spot that looked like it was good. We did some exploratory wells and we had good outcomes. So it was, did it take us a bit longer? Yeah, it did. But it meant that we were showing the community we were definitely listening and that we were learning. What it showed the community is that they were involved from the very beginning, from the concept to the very end of construction. And that what we really felt good about is that we truly engaged, right? It wasn't just us coming up with ideas. We came up with and asking them, what do you think? But it was us coming up with ideas together. And to me, it's for a community that's been waiting over 25 years for their water system to have safe drinking water, that's huge. That says something to the importance of their voice and that they're being heard. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, that's great. I was I was going to ask you if you had a last piece of advice on uh, to uh, you know we we asked about 
new graduates at the beginning. I was going to ask if you had a last piece of advice about relationship building, but I, I almost think you've answered it with your last, with your last question about, uh, about that importance of building relationships. Do you, do you have a final word? Remember who you're doing this work for. These are not your opportunities to look great. It's for, it's an opportunity for a community be, to be listened to and to be heard. It's an opportunity for you to really make a change in the positive for somebody's family and for their friends that we should be all designing like we're designing for our families and friends because I think then we make a concerted effort to look at what's best for them versus for ourselves and the best relationships are the ones that you invest in great <laughs> thank you very much for taking that time to uh, to talk today and uh, go over your experiences you've had a Long career, very successful, and uh, apparently built uh, quite a few great friendships. So, I've been very lucky. Thanks for having me. That was Frida Leong, Associated Engineering's national leader in Indigenous communities. She joined me today to talk about her experiences working with First Nations groups around BC and the amazing relationships she's built since 2005. Her experience building relationships and working in communities across the province of British Columbia echoes the call of engineers and geoscientists BC, advancing five of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action. The five recommendations are for professional engineers and geoscientists to ensure that the outreach currently provided to schools and communities on professional engineering and geoscience as a profession and a career is also provided to Indigenous schools and communities to support the development of signage for all engineering and geoscience projects on Indigenous lands and territories, which are consistent with best practices identified by the relevant First Nations. To ensure the professional development programs currently offered include content dealing with intercultural competency, how to relate to the culture you are providing services to, conflict resolution, human rights, and anti-racism, to develop professional practice guidance for the protection and preservation of all sites which are of cultural significance to First Nations communities, and to offer professional development seminars for engineering and geoscience professionals on these matters. Thank you for joining me today on another episode of AE Live. I encourage you to think about the relationships you're building, and if you find yourself working in a small and remote community, Remember, it's not just a building or technology that you're sharing, you're also sharing yourself and your knowledge and experiences. Showing we care often starts with listening, and you've probably listened to me enough for one day. For a full list of episodes, visit ae.ca and join us again for another episode of AE Live. Coming to you on the internet, audio, all the stem movies, no movies, where you gotta go vibing your ride to the Graham and Michael Groove, Woodwood's whole new Freaky Flow interview. Treat your ears, get the gist of careers from the list by engineers and scientists, maybe twisted up with technologists, the podcast baby and not to be missed. Got more fly than a ripe banana, like Sam, I got the stamina streaming across Canada, I can treat your cabana, got that swaggy swag, yeah, in the 411 from White Horse to Niagara. Don't you know we're gonna innovate? Got a topic here to elevate. Gonna entertain and educate.